December is one of the craziest times of the year, and not just for basketball and Christmas shopping. How's MLB free agency looking? How did the lockout affect it? I talk with my friend Rex Kaplan for the latest on Major League Baseball. Plus, big NBA trades coming soon? Clay coming back? Safe to say, it's been a wild two weeks in the NBA. As always, this is the Boundless and Ballin' Podcast. What's good, everyone? It's Jordan Becker, the now and host of the Boundless and Ballin' Podcast. We have a lot to get into today, as always, so let's jump right in. First off, the usual NBA recap, the Bucks and Hornets game ended in quite a thriller. The Bucks won it 127-125 to behind uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo's game winner. LaMelo had 36 points, 16 in the fourth quarter, 5 rebounds, 9 assists, and 3 steals. He drained the game-tying 3 with 6 seconds remaining. Giannis, 40 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists, made the game-winning layup with 2 seconds left. Miles Bridges nearly won it for Charlotte. Uh, but his running half-court three went in and out. Suns and Warriors. The Warriors snapped the Suns' 18-game winning streak, which means that the longest active winning streak in the NBA is, uh, if I believe, at five with the Houston Rockets. Quick correction, not five, but six straight wins for the Houston Rockets. Steph Curry, 23-5-5. Gary Payton and Andrew Wiggins had uh, 19 points each. DeAndre Ayton had 23-6-2 for the Suns. And Chris Paul, 12-3-8. The Lakers and Kings. These were uh, two games that had uh, everyone on their feet. The first one, Sacramento won a triple overtime thriller, 141-137. The first triple OT game in nearly 10 years for the Lakers. Their last one, March 22nd, 2011, when they beat the Suns, 139-137. De'Aaron Fox uh, had uh, 34 points, while LeBron had 30 in this triple overtime game. Uh, the second game, the Lakers got their revenge with a 117-92 blowout without LeBron, who had entered health and safety protocols, but was later cleared for the Lakers-Clippers game. More on that later. Um, Anthony Davis, 25-7-3, and, and Russell Westbrook with 23-5-6. Now, according to StatMuse, Russ has averaged 21.4 points a game, Eight assists per game and six rebounds a game in five in his last five games. Uh, quite the start for Russ. Well, quite the last few games for Russ after he got off to a pretty slow start as expected this year. That Clipper Laker game, the Battle of L.A. The Clippers edging the Lakers out 119 to 115. For the Clippers, Paul George had 19 points but went 0 of 7 from three. Luke Kennard nearly couldn't miss a three. He had 19 points, he had 17 in the second half, hit some clutch threes in the final few minutes to beat the Lakers. Uh, Marcus Morris Sr. had uh, 21 points. The Clippers, as a team, made 16 threes in that game. On the Lakers' side of things, Anthony Davis with 27 and 10 boards, LeBron with 23, 11, and 6, Russell Westbrook, 10 points and 9 assists, and Carmelo Anthony with 13 points off the bench. Now, this was quite the sight to see on Twitter after that game. Clipper fans were having a watch party and celebrated like they won Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Uh, One fan commented that the Lakers have 17 titles, but it took them 13 years to get 17 wins against the Clippers. What a fair comparison, am I right? So yeah, Clipper fans were getting uh, flat-out roasted by Laker fans uh, for that little watch party celebration they had. Um, Yeah, that was really something. Earlier, I had the pleasure of interviewing my friend Rex Kaplan, a senior at Providence High School in Burbank and an aspiring MOB player agent. 
We talked about his journey towards a career in the sports business world, the MLB lockout and free agency, as well as the latest on the Dodgers. Check it out. Alright, we are now joined by Providence High School senior, aspiring MLB player agent, and incoming sports business major at the University of Oregon, Rex Kaplan. Rex, pleasure having you on, man. Thanks for having me, Jordan. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this all week. Hey, that's what's up. All right, starting it off with uh, what I just mentioned, uh, what inspired you to pursue a career as an MLB player agent? Honestly, I've dedicated my entire life to sports so far. I've fallen in love with sports, baseball specifically, from a young age, and I've always always wanted to be in the industry. Younger, When I was younger, I wanted to be a player, but obviously, kind of as those aspirations went away, I thought it would be a fitting role for me to be an agent and work with teams. And more recently, over the last year or two, I've been trying to do my best to actually put that into effect because as the day goes by and as I fall more in love with baseball, I really find myself wanting to do that as a profession. And I think, uh, I think I'm taking the right steps currently to do so. I'm excited. Nice. Um, how has uh, Providence helped you in your journey and what other steps have you taken towards your goal? Uh, honestly, with Providence, some of the classes I've taken, such as broadcast journalism my junior year, and just some of the opportunities we've had through my uh, advanced placement English classes and stuff to like write articles and reach out to individuals that kind of tend to what I want to do, obviously in the sports industry. That's been nice. And then obviously playing baseball at Providence. I play center field there. I'm the captain of the team this year. That's been fun. Obviously, that hasn't helped as much just because it is high school baseball. Everybody plays. But still, it's been nice to kind of learn and pick off of what other athletes do and notice little things to try and learn more about what, you know, I might have to deal with come professional athletes one day and kind of help me grow as an athlete. And obviously while I'll be done after this year, I think it's good to have lived through the grind of a high school season because I understand what these athletes go through and understand it's an incredible, incredible grind, incredible dedication. Otherwise, I write a lot on Twitter. Uh, Throughout the 2019, 2020, and 2021 season, I wrote uh, post-game recaps every night for the Dodgers, which kind of made me feel what a real baseball season feels like, paying attention three, four hours every night, and then writing like you do for Loyola until 12, 1 a.m. every night to get that article posted out so I can finally go to sleep. Uh, doing that has been great. And then more recently, especially once I've realized I wanted to go to the University of Oregon to study sports business, I kind of understood that. It's all about making connections and meeting people that can help me down the line. So I've been making valiant efforts to do that by, you know, meeting people who have similar interests and connections on Twitter and then making the most of people that I meet through my parents' work and just people I meet in general. It's all, it's all kind of what I've been trying to do more recently. And it's fun. It's nice to meet new people, especially with the same interests as me. Yeah, that's dope. Um, uh, what made you choose uh, UO and what are you most excited about over there? Honestly, since I started looking into colleges, I knew that I wanted to major in sports business. And I, as I started to look more into depth for the colleges, I basically only looked at ones that had sports business programs. And University of Oregon struck my mind immediately. I remember clicking a link last summer before I had any sort of idea where I wanted to go. And just watching the video about their sports business program and the faculty and the uh, facilities that they have, I was like, I feel like this is where I want to go. And then as I continued to do more research and I met more people that went there and more people that said just incredible things about the school and, and how it helped them and just how 
amazing the sports connections are there. I, I felt like it was the right school. And then we visited a couple months back once I got in and it was like, this is, this is the place I want to be. It feels right. And I, I could not be more excited. I've got my flag right there. It's nice. pretty exciting stuff. Cool. Cool. All right. Shifting over to uh, the MLB. Uh, for those who don't know, what's up with that, with the whole lockout situation, what implications does that, does that have for the off season and for the start of next season? So uh, basically the lockout comes after the CBA collective bargaining agreement expires. There had been a CBA for the last five years and it expired December 1st at 1159 PM. So at that point, because the MLB players association, the PA and the owners that basically are MLB themselves did not come to a new agreement. This lockout happened. And basically when the lockout began, all business transactions, anything related to baseball, major league baseball, at least comes to a halt until a new bargaining agreement is agreed upon. Basically, while the owners don't have to uh, declare it a lockout, it could just be a time without anything because obviously baseball games don't start until February. Uh, the owners, by doing so, making it a lockout, basically gives them leverage into creating a new bargaining agreement with Players Association and kind of helps speed up the process so that these guys can hopefully come to an agreement over the next couple of months and have not lost any real time, be able to have finished free agency signings and all that, hopefully in January or February. So the, uh, the season could start on time with the new rules, whatever they'll decide upon. I think there will be some rule changes this year, which is exciting. But otherwise, honestly, people just need baseball. Mm -hmm. They need to come to an agreement. People love the players, not the owners. I think they need to just figure this one out, make the money. I know, I know this year is a little different too because the owners will be – I feel like they're going to feel like the longer this goes on without them coming to an agreement, they're going to just be playing with fire, especially after – having the, you know, fanless 2020 season, the COVID season that was so unprecedented and all the money they lost then, I don't think they'll, they'll want to mess around. So I think they'll come to an agreement soon. But as of right now, when there's nothing going on, it's definitely weird. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the Dodgers have been making some pretty good moves. They re-signed Chris Taylor after losing uh, Corey Seager and Max Scherzer. Uh, what's your assessment of their free agency so far and what moves should they make to get back to the World Series? Uh, so I've talked about this with a lot of people, obviously among my friends, whenever anything happens with the Dodgers, they come to me for perspective. And recently I wrote something on Twitter about this when the Dodgers let Cork Seager and, uh, Max Scherzer walk, basically they let up $500 million. Basically, I think people were saying they were being cheap. I actually think they're being smart. Max Scherzer's aging. I like that they let him walk. Obviously, he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time, and whether or not he'll be healthy next year, we don't know. But for the Mets, that's a great pickup. And while Corey Seager is an L.A. legend already, won that championship, he's beloved. Oh, yeah. I think it, it was the right time for him to, to start somewhere new and for the Dodgers to kind of fill that void at shortstop. Um, I don't think Corey Seager was their long-term shortstop. He's a great, great ball player, mm -hmm. but he's got a big frame. He's not a great defender, and I think – you don't want to allocate six, uh, $365 million or whatever, the three, $325 million to a guy that I think is going to become a third baseman over the next couple of years. But I think it's great for baseball. All of a sudden, some of these small market teams, or not small market, just teams that hadn't been as good recently, like Toronto, Texas, uh, we're seeing it in Oakland, teams like that are, are doing well. So it's not just the Dodgers, the Yankees, the big market teams that have excitement surrounding them. Seattle, Seattle's a great team this year. It's, I think it's great for baseball. I think the Dodgers made the right choice by re-signing Chris Taylor. I wrote 
in one of my articles this offseason that the only guy the Dodgers could not replace is Chris Taylor, and I'm glad they came to a deal. I, I frankly think that he got underpaid, which is good for the Dodgers and good for him that he wants to stay and be happy, I think. They gave him a chance back in 2015 when they traded for him, and uh, he's delivered. So that's good. Uh, when the lockout ends, I think teams, some teams that kind of have playoff aspirations but aren't quite there yet are going to feel the need to spend a little more money than they should. I think the Dodgers could stand pat right now and not sign anybody because they're still going to most likely win the division and be a playoff team, even though they might not be a championship team right now. But also I think uh, my hot take is I think they're going to sign Juan Soto 2025 when he's a free agent or 2024. But due to the fact that he's quite possibly going to be the best player in baseball, I think they're going to need to pay 400 to $500 million. So I think that's why they might not be in a rush to pay big money to anyone else besides Mookie Betts, who obviously deserves it. There's only a couple guys in baseball who deserve that much money. And Mookie Betts is one of them. And so is Juan Soto. We'll see. Freddie Freeman's still available, but I, I doubt he leaves Atlanta. Yeah. I heard rumors about him too. Like the Dodgers might want to get him, but we'll, we'll see on that regard. Um, I haven't kept him, but I haven't been keeping pace with it much, but uh, Kershaw, do you want to see him come back or has he run his course and is it time for him to retire? Yeah. Kershaw and Jansen both, it, it hurts my heart to see headlines saying that they are talking with other teams and might lose just because I can't picture a team without Clayton Kershaw or Kenley Jansen. Those guys are hard and soul of the team the same way Justin Turner is. At least I, I've been saying for a year and a half that I thought Corey Seeker was going to leave and I had readied myself for that. I prepared myself and I knew that was going to happen. But just hearing the rumors that he might come back kind of gave me hope. And then obviously when he left, I was a little disappointed. But for Kershaw, I've heard rumors that he might go home to Texas. Obviously, his death, his best days are behind him, and it's disappointing to say that he's not extremely healthy. Forearm, forearm inflations are serious injuries for a pitcher, and especially with a guy that's thrown this many innings in his career and is just a big guy, 6'5". It's, it's a little worrisome, but still, it's a risk you got to take and just you got to have him on the team. Just the leader he is for the young arms. They, they should they should pay him. They should bring him back for a couple of years. And I think I think, you know, he's made enough money in his career. He's done everything he can. He's got a first ticket, first ballot ticket to, uh, to Cooperstown the moment he retires. Hopefully he plays a couple more seasons if he's healthy and then retires in L.A. As for Jansen, I think something similar. But as I hear more and more, I think because Jansen still has fuel, fuel left in the tank. He had a fantastic season last year. In my opinion, he was the best closer in baseball after Josh Hader and maybe Liam Hendricks. He was dominant besides a two two or three game stretch where he was bad mm-hmm. i mean he was snubbed as an all-star someone's gonna pay him because they can still get a lot out of him he can still be an elite closer and for the dodgers who have other options with bruce Gratterall and then blake trinan they might not want to pay a ton of money for a closer mm-hmm. but i think bringing him back would not be a bad idea by any means he's another guy that you love to have around and he's still a great great ball player so we'll see how andrew friedman handles it how much money they want to pay. Yep. Um, what moves across uh, free agency so far have surprised you? Honestly, I didn't think Marcus Simeon was going to leave Toronto. That team was legit. And for him to come to Texas of all the places was like, whoa. And then the moment they signed him and then brought over Corey Seager, it all kind of made sense. Otherwise, I'm going to be real. I really did not think Max Scherzer was going to leave to the East Coast. I love Max Scherzer. He is an insane human being, and he is so much fun to watch. I love watching him pitch. I didn't 
I, I thought the Dodgers would resign him. And then as more time passed on, I thought maybe not, but I definitely thought he was going to stay on the West coast or go home to St. Louis. I did not think he was going to become a Met. He's pitched probably 150 games against that team in his career being with Washington and just, I did not see him leaving to a freezing cold city fully across the country from where he just settled with his family, but he seems happy. It seems like a great fit for him and baseball, baseball is better when the Mets are exciting and the Mets are very, very exciting. Oh yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, what have been some of the most uh, overrated signings and what have been some of the most underrated ones? I think Chris Taylor was an incredible pickup. I also think the angels are making great moves. Noah Syndergaard, I think, is problematic because he hasn't pitched in so long and he's had a buildup of injuries. But if he is healthy, he'll be great. I really, really like the Angels signing Michael Lorenzen. I thought that was fantastic. He's a great ball player. He throws 100 miles an hour and he also can hit, apparently, which would mean they have two star studded uh, two way players, which would be incredible. But the Angels, uh, and they also uh, re signed Bryce Iglesias for your deal. We'll see if they stay healthy because if they stay healthy, that division. Division's tough, but they're a good team. I also think Javi Baez to uh, Detroit is a good pickup for them, although they paid him a lot of money. I think that's a little bit overrated of a signing. But underrated for Detroit, Eduardo Rodriguez. I think it was five years, 90 million, maybe 100, and great pickup. He had a good year in Boston last year. Solid lefty, and for, for Detroit, a team with a ton of, ton of good high-ranked prospects coming up over the next couple of years, I think they could be running that division come 20. 23, 2024. I also thought Corey Kluber to the Rays was a good pickup for them. Yeah, I will say while uh, Seattle traded for Adam Frazier, I thought that was a great pickup for them. I don't know why San Diego let him go. Adam Frazier led the league in hits last year for a reason, and he kind of just struggled along with everyone else in San Diego in the second half. But uh, Robbie Ray, I think, is going to regress a little bit. Obviously, he won Cy Young last year, but I feel like pitching in Seattle, tough place to pitch. I thought his numbers were a little bit too pretty this year. He got hit around some games where his defense behind him made some sick plays. And uh, I think Seattle needed to pay him because they needed a clear ace. But I also think they're not going to get, they're not going to get as much as they paid for out of him. But we, I guess we'll see. I'd like him to prove me wrong. I like him. He's a good, he's a likable pitcher. Nice. Um, okay. So uh, based on the moves, right. Or, well, last question here, based on the moves right now, which teams have the biggest potential to succeed next year? Like a playoff push, maybe even a World Series berth? What do you think? Uh, well, looking at division-wise, I think the Dodgers are still should be the best team in their division. I think San Francisco is going to regress, especially with losing Kevin Gosman and uh, losing Buster Posey. But they're still a good team. They've got young talent. Logan Webb's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, San Diego. Obviously, everyone counted them out after a disappointing. I mean, they were very disappointing last year. They were supposed to be one of the best teams in baseball, and they didn't even make the wild card game. But I think this year they'll figure it out. They'll kind of feel a little less pressure than they did last year. I still think it's LA's division to lose. Uh, over there towards the East Coast, I think the Mets are good, but the NL is tough with Atlanta. And Philadelphia made a push last year, and you've got, uh, you've got a couple other teams that I feel like could make a late push. The Yankees, I think should come out of the AL. I think Houston's going to fall off a little bit, losing Correa, hopefully. Although Correa hasn't gotten a deal yet, which makes me think he might come back short-term lower AAV with Houston. I think, quietly, I think Toronto's the best team in the American League right now. 
I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the best hitter in the AL. I think Kevin Gosman's a great pickup. And then with Barrios and Manoa and Ryu, that starting lineup was legitimate. Obviously, I mean, that starting rotation was legitimate. Obviously, losing Simeon's going to hurt. He had a great year last year, but Toronto's, Toronto's my underground pick to come out of the AL next year. And I think it'll be, a, I think it'll be Dodgers, Dodgers Toronto next year. Interesting. All right, Rex. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. Um, hopefully we can get you on uh, again soon once, uh, once the season begins. And uh, as far as this podcast, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on the Balance and Ballin' podcast. Thanks again to Rex for that awesome interview. Now back to the latest NBA news. Kyrie Irving is not expected to be vaccinated against COVID-19 anytime soon, meaning the only way he plays this year is if he is traded. That being said, if Kyrie is dealt, where should and would he go? Uh, to Philly for Ben Simmons? I think that makes the most sense. Uh, should he get traded to the Lakers? No, thank you. Nope, not interested. The Clippers? No, probably not. Portland? Hmm. Okay, now that is really interesting. Obviously, um, the Blazers would not do Dame for Kyrie straight up, but they could potentially do a deal for uh, CJ McCollum. That being said, uh, would a uh, Dame and Kyrie backcourt work? I mean, we've already kind of seen that with uh, Kyrie and Harden sharing the court uh, last season. Uh, so if he was dealt to Portland or any other team that had a, uh, a superstar point guard, would that work is the question. Um, Probably, perhaps. Too, too early to tell, of course. But yeah, the whole Kyrie Irving situation just getting more complicated by the day. Um, he's not the only point guard that's uh, that's uh, being involved in uh, trade rumors. I have many more on the list. Uh, speaking of Portland, uh, the Blazers fired uh, GM Neil Olshey, and some major moves could be next. Damian Lillard has always been loyal to Portland, but could that change after this year? Should Portland trade CJ McCollum? There are major questions surrounding all of this and the direction that Portland is trying to go. Again, too early to tell, but it'll be interesting to see what happens in the post-Olshi era for Dame and the Portland Trailblazers. Kemba Walker is now out of the Knicks rotation, while John Wall is trying to get into the Rockets rotation. Should they be traded for each other? I don't think so. The Knicks and Rockets are doing just fine as it is. Uh, I'm sure both teams would not want to mess it up with that big of a trade. However, one or both of these guys could be getting bought out. Of course, the question where is still unanswerable at this time. I think all the teams are currently set at the point guard slot. So uh, as of now, it's best that Walker and Wall stay put for the moment. Zion Williamson, the Pelicans, he hasn't played this year because of uh, foot surgery and soreness from that just complicated his rehab process. The Pels are currently 7-19 this year, and they're in dire need of their franchise player. Brandon Ingram and Jonas Valanciunas have carried the load so far, but they can only help so much. Really interesting to see what will happen over there in NOLA if uh, Zion winds up returning at some point this year. He's not the only uh, star player we're expecting to see a return of, because Clay Thompson could potentially return for Golden State. Uh, around Christmas time, and what a story that'll be. The last time Clay played in a game was uh, in the finals back in 2019, and since then he's been on a long road to recovery, 
with that uh, torn ACL and then the uh, torn Achilles injury as well. Going to be really interesting to see how Steve Kerr works him back into the lineup. You have uh, Steph Curry, the greatest three-point shooter of all time, surrounded by guys who truly star in their roles. Gary Payton II has been quite a surprise. Uh, Jordan Poole has been uh, showing out as well in Clay's absence. Yeah, Damian Lee has carved out quite a role for himself as well. And then you have, of course, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and Kevon Looney. So it'll be quite the work for Steve Kerr to get the other Splash brother back into the lineup. But it's going to be really exciting when uh, Clay Thompson returns. And it's going to be really cool to see the Splash brothers back in action for the first time in two years. And finally, the Memphis Grizzlies have been thriving without their star point guard, John Morant. They're currently riding a four-game win streak, including a 97-90 win over the Dallas Mavericks and an absolute blowout of the OKC Thunder, 152-79. 73 points, the largest margin of victory in NBA history. Grizz are currently 13-10, uh, sitting fourth in the Western Conference among the Warriors, Suns, Jazz, and Clippers. And uh, Taylor Jenkins has really turned this team around, and the way they're riding right now without John Morant will be even higher once he gets back on. And that's a wrap on this episode of the Boundless and Ballin' Podcast. See you in two weeks. I'm Jordan Pecolino, and stay safe, stay healthy, peace.